This episode of Grilled Cheese and Gin was brought to you by Spotify.com. Spotify, creating the background soundtrack to your resume building montage. Spotify.com, it mixes perfectly with the sound of your frantic typing. Spotify is not in any way associated with this podcast. Hello and welcome to Grilled Cheese and Gin, the podcast where we empower women to talk about problematic favorites and discuss all the ways you could realize your changeable dream. I'm Vicki Scott, sea monkey from way back and recent loser of my Lularoe-genity. And I'm Jessica Hurd, fringe theater fan and devoted cat mom to two cats. What What's happening? What's happening in your life, my dear Jessica? Last week was kind of crazy, actually. Um, I met up with a bunch of people, went to lunch on like Wednesday, Thursday and Friday. I don't even think I did that at my like real job, like went out that much. This was... I met up with somebody from college. Um, I met up with somebody from my last job. Um, really cool because he just he moved here about a month before I did. And then on Saturday, Jacob was doing Pitch Fest, which is um, this big thing where all these people come and pitch producers with their movies and their TV shows. Um, so he was doing that all day Saturday and Sunday. So Saturday, I went to the Fr- the Hollywood Fringe Festival, which has been, uh, I think it's in their sixth year uh, now, and it, they've had they've more shows than they've ever had before. So they have like 375 shows, and um, it's typical Fringe, like super low budget, small casts. Sometimes, actually, sometimes are huge casts. Uh, like three or four light cues and in a theater that has like 35 seats in it. One of them I went to was this one woman show, this actress, uh, really great interaction with video. She had five characters that she's developed that are aliens that have come to earth and are women. And the premise of the show was that the aliens, um, their people have found out that, Uh, because of Trump, the world is going to end on November 8th. And so they have decided to vacate the planet until the next evolution happens, uh, which is going to be cockroach people, FYI. (laughs) And they're, they're supposed to vacate the planet. And they are having a meeting to discuss vacating. And one of the sexy alien ladies is like, no, no, this is a great place. These humans are, I mean, they're flawed, but they're really great. And we should really try to help them save each other. Because the thing is, is that all the lady humans have 8,000 nerve receptors in their clitoris, and this should help them save the world. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so then she convinces all the other alien ladies to go to Earth, which is us in the audience, and try to convince us that we're amazing and that we should go out um, and save the world. And, um, and they all, each of the aliens are sort of like nonplussed about this or kind of not interested in us saving ourselves alternately, depending, um, cause they're like, you have a stupid religion and, <laughs> <laughs> or you have a stupid main religion and, uh, or another one's like, 
um, yeah, you're a lot of you, you don't even look at your vaginas. Like you don't even know what they look like and how pretty they are. And this other one is like, yeah, you don't even know how good it feels to eat out a woman. And so, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then she's like, I'll, I'll, you know what? I don't know if we have time, but I'll eat out all of you in the audience <laughs> and and she's like well oh shoot I don't have time and then eventually she's like I, I'm gonna I'm just gonna do it I'm just gonna do it and she's like and she picks out someone in the audience and then the other aliens like we don't have time and so she's like oh 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 well just just know that you're wonderful and like if you have the chance just you know do it and <laughs> whatever and then um and she's the hippie alien and then the sexy alien in the end she comes out and talks about her story about why this is so important to her and that she thinks we're that all that we're all so amazing um and in the end she's just like you know what i can't leave i can't leave with the other aliens i'm just gonna stay and stick it out here because i think sex is just amazing and whatever anyway so she's so they all they leave except for her and then she takes off her clothes and does a little burlesque for us it was fun uh, it sounds I, like sounds like a lot of fun sounds really like exciting <laughs> So uh, this isn't something that I did this week. This is something that I did a, f a fair while ago, but I was thinking about it. I went to an Amy Mann concert, but actually, Ooh. yeah. So you know who Amy Mann is? You're yes. a fan from way back. Yes. So I am too, to some degree. Like I, I knew her work and I've been following her uh, off and on. Like whenever she comes out with a new thing, I'll be like, oh, that's very good. Uh but actually, I I bought the ticket because it was a Jonathan Colton concert. He actually opened for her. Oh, my gosh. So I said in the intro that I am a sea monkey from way back. Um, Jonathan Colton every year does a nerd cruise where he oh. invites all of his nerdy friends to go on a cruise with him. And people who are fans can then go on the cruise with them. And there's a show every night from a different nerd and there's shows every night from Jonathan Colton and all of this stuff. So we call each we call ourselves Sea Monkeys because um, Jonathan Colton, when he was first becoming popular, had like a motif of monkeys in his songs, and he called himself a code monkey. And um, oh, yeah. So we were all Sea Monkeys. But I saw this concert, and I was so interested to go see it because clearly, like. Not clearly, but a lot of the people were going to go there to see Amy Mann. Like, she was the headliner. Yeah. And it was it was literally just, like, I got I got killer seats. That we were, like, inches away from the stage, and we could, like, see the spit coming off of them. And, wow. <laughs> and um, she... Uh, Jonathan Colton opened, obviously, and we were, Aubrey and I were the only people who knew who he was. And then we saw, like, all of these people's brains light on fire because he is so, he's so good. If you don't know Jonathan Colton, you should definitely look him up. He does a lot of, uh, of nerdy music, but he also does really approachable stuff and stuff about parenting and life and becoming older and doing, you know, just doing the living thing. And he sang all of his really approachable songs that Aubrey and I knew as something different. Like we knew them as nerdy songs, but then when he sang them to an audience of like basically normals, um, 
they just kind of took on this different meaning and it was this really interesting experience and then he has a song with amy amy mann they have a couple of songs on each other's new albums and were able to like come out and sing each other's stuff uh with each other and it was just really interesting to like see the collaboration and see how these two artists like were helping each other i don't know i don't i don't know if i have much to say about it other than the fact that I became so much more of an Amy Mann fan and she has amazing boots because again, we were sitting inches away from her. So I had full clear view of her beautiful boots. Um, and that it's, you just notice there's a, there's a different feeling depending upon the audience that you're in. So when we were on the nerd cruise, everybody knew all the songs. We were singing a lot like scream singing along to all of the Jonathan Colton songs and everybody was just completely silent. Aubrey and I started singing a few times. I got really embarrassed because Jonathan Colton would just like hear us and like look around. <laughs> <laughs> and then we just like clam up. <laughs> but yeah. I know him from the Ask Me Another podcast. Okay. Or NPR show mm -hmm. that he does with Ophira Eisenberg. Mm -hmm. Do you know that one? I haven't listened to it. I know that he does it. I know that he do he's very pro prolific on the internet. Like everybody knows him for a different thing. Some people know oh. him for a thing of week. Some people know him because he wrote the songs for uh, Portal. Some people know him because he's on, he's really like, I guess he's close with Will Wheaton at this point. Like Will Wheaton was on the nerd cruise that I was on which is how I have met him. Um, yeah. And a few other people. Oh, wow. there, like there's this, there's this crossover of all of these different things. And then you just realize that, Oh, these people know each other. And so they're doing the stuff for each other. Also, yeah. who, who doesn't want to go on a nerd cruise and just perform with your best friends every night? Like that yes. sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Get paid to go on a cruise. Sweet. I, with people that like you <laughs> like, oh my gosh that's amazing guaranteed people that like you and obviously they had they requested that you not like pester the the artist if you saw them like out with their family and I feel like our our group in particular was really respectful of that I don't know if it's changed it's been a few years but like we just let them be with their family and if they were around and just hanging out, like say hi and say, Oh, I really love your work. And what do you really say to people that you admire? Like, how right. do you, how do you do that? And I wanted, I keep wanting to do it when I was, I was so, I couldn't, I couldn't look Jonathan Colton in the face. Like, even though I saw him all over the place and I had plenty of opportunities to talk to him, couldn't look him in the face. I was too starstruck. Same with Will Wheaton. And now I'm at a place where I'd be like, Hey buddy, how's it going? But I still have nothing to say to them. Like I just feel like I know who they are, and so that's our starting point. But how do you introduce? Yeah, we should. If you have any tips for this, please tell me. <laughs> yes, I love this. I think this would be a great conversation because now I'm in LA, and that has always that plagued me in Las Vegas. But it was never. I never felt like it would be a huge issue because I was like, oh, the people that I like, I listen to them on podcasts, and they're all like, I hate Vegas, with a few exceptions. 
Um, Everybody hates Vegas. Top super <laughs> top secret tip. Nobody likes Vegas, but it's a money maker. It's a money maker. Make <laughs> it rain. Yeah. So I was like, oh well, I'm I'm never re- gonna really have to deal with this. But now that I'm here, I'm like, oh shit. Like I really. And one of my goals is to work with people that I really like and admire, such as yourself. Mm-hmm. And um, but luckily we have a rapport. But somebody like like you're saying, like Jonathan Colton or Will Wheaton um, or Will Wheaton. There are, uh, there are so many other, even Amy Mann. Like if I saw Amy Mann on the street, I'd be like, I really freaking like your boots. <laughs> I'd run away because I have nothing else to say. Yeah. Yeah. Or like comedians or I saw, the other day at Universal Studios, I saw this actor and I was like, oh, well, that's our first celebrity sighting. And Jacob was like, wait, what, 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 where? And what's his name? Who, who are you talking about? And I was like, um, it's that guy. He's a character actor. I can't remember his name. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even remember what show he's on right now. But (laughs) that happened to me at Starbucks in Vegas with Pet Pen of Pen and Teller. Oh, yes. And I just, I saw him. I'm like, you're famous. And I don't know why, because I'd never been to a Pen and Teller show. And I, I just knew his face from billboards. And I'm like, why why do i why should i know who you are and then i just didn't say anything because i was too embarrassed like and he was totally in our neighborhood like mm-hmm. all the time all the time saw him yeah. at starbucks i also saw him at that Thai, that really good thai place downtown and yeah oh yeah yeah he uh he was a funny one i also ran into him a couple of times and didn't know what to say and then i had an added thing where working at the place where I worked, we met a lot of, we had a lot of show people and a lot of, I mean, show celebrities come into the office. And again, I would be like, I don't know what to talk about with these people. Like I want to make friends with them, but, and and it not friends. No, that's weird. (laughs) You just want to say something that's complimentary and you want to kind of have a human experience with people. Um, And then in addition, at some point, work with people that you like. And so you want to make a good human impression that's complimentary. Um, Without, because they get so many people like fawning over them. Yeah. You don't want to do that. But I think Aubrey did it really well, actually. Um, she she went up to somebody who she discovered completely on the Nerd Cruise, but it, uh, the guy from The Long Winters, and I can't, I know his name is, John, John Roderick, um, John Roderick. There were a lot of Johns on the nerd cruise, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but she went up to him and she's just like, you know, I have never connected so deeply with music before. And I just really, really enjoy your style. And I really, you know, and she just had this really pleasant conversation. And I don't know if part of that was that she had just learned about him and she didn't have enough time to like build him up in her brain or whatever, but yeah, if you have any tips, please email us. Tell us how you talk to celebrities and give us some good, like, celebrities that'll work, uh, tips that'll work for a lot of different situations. Because sometimes you see people at a cocktail party and sometimes you see people in Starbucks and it's not quite the same. Like, you gotta have a go-to thing. All right. I, are we at the point where I can now ask you about what a Lou... LaRoe-ginity is? <laughs> I mean, I guess you can. Okay, so you don't know what LuLaRoe is. That's what that's uh-uh. the sense that I'm getting. Okay. 
LuLaRoe is this clothing company that basically, at its core, makes three three clothing types. It makes leggings, it makes dresses, and it makes, like, oh, I guess it also makes t-shirts and then, like, um, big, long sweaters, like dusters. Oh, nice. So it, it basically makes your entire wardrobe if you dress that way, which I do. I'm I'm very much a fan of the uh, make sure it can go from yoga to your job very easily, which <laughs> which is nice. basically leggings and dress, um, and like maybe maybe you change your t-shirt, maybe you just do yoga in your dress. I don't know, but um, Lularoe makes these makes these buttery soft leggings which is what they're known for so it's basically like the softest material like softest you know kitty underbelly uh teddy bear seal skin uh i don't know your favorite blankie material and yeah and they make leggings that basically fit your booty (laughs) nice so you put them on and they feel buttery soft and they also when you bend over they're not going to show your whole butt to the whole world so it's the best thing ever for for ladies who like leggings yes but i had been diligently avoiding them so my my cousin way back when lularoe was first starting to get popular she had a LuLaRoe party and it's all online. So you watch the video and you comment to the person um, which which article of LuLaRoe clothing you want and then they're able to to sell it to you. So you, they don't have a storefront. They don't have a online business. They send it all to people who are um, like ambassadors of this brand. And those people will set up a, a, a video where they... Take a video of each article of clothing that has a number and you buy it from them directly. So it's very, very online new age Avon, but, but yeah, for clothes. Yeah, sort of like word of mouth marketing, but for clothes. Right. Interesting. Yeah. So, so originally I, I knew what it was because my cousin had um, her own party. So you have parties, which is just on Facebook for a certain amount of time. <laughs> Like these articles of clothing are on Facebook for a certain amount of time and you can buy it whenever you want. So I don't know how it's a party, but anyway. Um, but then I met my new friends who are, are LuLaRoe enthusiast slash collectors. So they have like one of each article of clothing and they really seek out the different patterns because another thing is that it's very vibrant patterns and they're very into mixing and matching patterns and designs. And so they were both wearing head to toe LuLaRoe, like LuLaRoe dress, LuLaRoe cover up, LuLaRoe leggings, all that jazz. Nice. And so we were just discussing it and she, (laughs) uh, my friend takes me to her closet, which is a big, beautiful walk-in closet. And she's like, look, here is my collection. And I'm like, oh, my word. And she's like, oh, and some of them are in the laundry. So she like, they're like laying out on beautiful drying racks. And she's like, here, these are all of my different types of leggings. And I'm like, oh, my God, they're so beautiful. Wow. 
And I mean, long story short, she had a dress that she that didn't fit her. She's like, I really hate it. It makes me feel frumpy and blah blah blah. And it and she pulls it out and it's this gorgeous like paisley print, but it's um it, it's gray, but it has like embroidery basically on it and She's like, I bet it would fit you. Why don't you try it on? And she like hands it to me and I try it on and it fits me perfectly. Like, like it was tailored for me and it has pretty pleats in front. It has pockets. Like this is the other thing. It's literally made for the lady on the go because it has the pockets and it's, it's long enough. Like it goes down like almost just like just to my knee. So it's not like an awkward length, but I could still bend over if I don't want to wear leggings under it, which there's never a time when you don't want to wear leggings under your dress. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I lost my loser of virginity, and now I am starting to look at the the website again, like starting to look at Facebook groups and and watching the videos and being like, is there anything here that I want? <laughs> it's definitely, Ooh. definitely not a good idea for me to start buying uh, a ton of leggings. But yeah, so I, I ripped the bandaid off and now I don't know if I regret it or if it's the best thing ever. Yeah, so you are currently on the job hunt. I am currently signed up with LinkedIn. The real challenge for me right now is that I feel like there's a little part of me that is that just wants to go back 11 years before I got to Vegas and before I took those jobs and just started pursuing creative things for money. Um, like you're talking about Jonathan Colton. I mean, I'm not a singer, songwriter or a comedian, but I would love to not have to have a that type of desk salesy marketing desk job that I had. But there's another part of me that's like, yeah, but I learned those skills for a reason. I wanted them to serve me in my other pursuits. I'm not regretful of the time I spent and the things that I learned doing those jobs. But now I the challenge is really trying to figure out how if if I can meld those and do it in the short term. Because the challenge with being an actor is that you should be going on auditions and you should have the flexibility of a job that accepts you leaving to go to auditions. So that's where I'm at right now, where I guess if that makes any sense, where I'm just kind of confused about how I need to structure my time to, or how I want to structure my time or how, the best, I, there probably is no best way. Everybody is just trying to make it, you know, make it work. I am so, I was so, I physically felt such disdain for myself and my last job. <laughs> I hated being there so much. And it just, it physically, I, I, it physically was problematic. And I know that's a lot of, it's, you know, 95% of what I was putting into it was what was making me making it problematic. Um, but I just don't want to feel I don't want to get into that habit again. I don't want to feel that way again. So it's really so looking at these jobs on LinkedIn, I'm like, I think I really have to change my search settings or something, something I need to figure something else out, because I don't want to go back to that 
feeling. Also, I also when I was in California and before when I lived in the Bay Area and I my career was kind of taking off. I was in a Sundance film. I was in a, a hit show at the Fringe Festival and I was trying to really capitalize on it and get an agent and get more work and audition and things were starting to work out. But my bosses were like, yeah, you have no more time off. We are going to fire you if you take one more hour to go on an audition. And so I was like, well, I don't I need my health insurance. I need a good recommendation from this place. Mm -hmm. And and so I felt like I constantly was undercutting myself, um, taking low paying jobs or low responsibility, not aspiring to other things and accepting that people would look at me as like, well, we can keep her at this level because she wants to, she really wants to do these other things, even though we don't actually allow her the time to do these other things. <laughs> right. It's the, it's the shooting your, yourself in the foot in both areas because your job isn't giving you enough time, but they're not going to advance you. But if they're not giving you enough time, you can't advance in your actual passion. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's in the capitalist structure that we live in, that is, uh, like I was talking to my ther- therapist about it and he was like, what if you just ag- acknowledge that this is the struggle, that this just is the struggle? And I was like, I, I can, I have, I've lived in it for 11 years, but I can't, I can't live with the physical stress of that anymore. I have to figure something else. I have to figure something out about it so that I can live with, I can live with the struggle, I guess, and still feel happy about my choices. And I'm in my 40s, too. So that's another thing where you kind of just, there's a certain sense of like, I can't, I don't want to fuck around anymore. Like I, life is short, and you got to enjoy it. I just had a friend of mine just died uh, the other day. And she was such an inspiration of um, living life to the fullest and making plans for living your dreams. I just I want to take I, I look at that and I'm like, yeah, you just never know when you're going to be suddenly struck with some crazy illness. And 10 days later, you're going to be dead. You don't want to have any regrets when you're laying or I, that's what everyone says. Like you don't want any regrets. But I feel very strongly about that now having lived this struggle for 11 years. Like, I don't want to live with any, I don't want to die with any regrets. I don't, if something should befall me, I want to be like, yeah, I, I, I did my podcast. I auditioned for things. I figured out a life that would allow me to meet cool, fun, interesting people. And the money still happened. Mm-hmm. I know I need to read that book that you talked about magic, right? right? So well, yeah, big magic, big magic. I mean, it's a very lovely book and it says it, it gives you this really nice vocabulary for thinking about these things where you think about your genius as a thing that is going to visit you sometimes, but sometimes it's not. So you balance between putting in the effort and also capitalizing on the flow or whatever you call your creative bursts, you know? Yeah. But your struggle is dovetailing really nicely with what is going on at my job too, because my job is changing and growing right now. And I don't know how to feel about it. I am currently on the 17th, I will be offered a a, basically a full time position. Although I definitely want to take it for the same reasons that you described you taking your your shitty jobs, even though this current job isn't a shitty job. It's still a it's a low paying job that I took on morals standings 
that like I was like, well, I can go work at Taco Bell or I can work at a co-op. Like those were my, those were my moral, that was my moral dilemma at the time. I, I, I like some of the things that the place stands for and I really understand, I'm starting to understand what's going on there, but I don't know if I want to sell my creativity because the way that this job is expanding is I'll be doing a lot more writing for them, which sounds really great on the surface, but I'm having... Uh, the reason that I'm having such a big dilemma is that it's taking an extra 15 hours out of the time that I would have to work on creative projects and make sure that I'm I'm really nurturing all of these relationships that I've built up over the last year and make sure that I am constantly making new content so that this creativity thing that I've worked so hard to to foster doesn't just fall away again because that that is genuinely what happened in my last few jobs where I would take on a job and take on more responsibilities and just take keep taking on more and more and more responsibilities to the point where I felt completely spent when I got home. I need to I need to figure out how to balance that this is my time and so I'm going to I'm going to really throw myself into it versus this is my rest time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because honestly they can they can sometimes be one and the same. Like I don't need to spend two hours binge watching Orange Is the New Black. I can just can spend one hour writing and then one hour watching Orange Is the New Black because I still need that downtime. You still need that creative inspiration because all of those artistic projects are are still inspiring to me. Kimmy Schmidt is stinking hilarious. Orange Is the New Black is yeah. doing some really interesting things and all of that. So you still need to keep feeding yourself and you still need to literally turn your brain off sometimes. But I, I, I feel like I'm not stealing enough time for myself. I feel like I'm not stealing enough time for my creative projects, like pulling the laptop into the bed and writing a few pages in the morning. And, oh, I'm wide awake at two o'clock in the morning. Why don't I just crawl out of bed and, and um, edit that last little segment of the podcast? Because I'm laying in bed thinking about it. Why don't I just get up and go do it? I feel the same way. <laughs> well, and, and it feels like discipline to me. Like that, like I have a really contentious relationship with the term discipline because it feels yes. very um, regimented and like it's something that you attain and, and stuff like that. And it's really not. Discipline is just instead of letting your ball of anxiety spiral out of control is saying, okay, ball of anxiety, let's go make you into something productive. Come on, let's go. And like just walking over to your computer and doing it. That's how I'm trying to That's, reframe. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Let's keep working on that. Let's, yeah. Cause, cause I totally agree. I hate the word discipline and, and I also feel like, oh, I have none. And I listen to like the guy on Wired, or who, I don't know if he still is, but the editor from Wired, I heard him on a podcast a while back, and they were like, how do you do so much? Because he was inventing, and of course he was editing, and he was writing, and he also had, I, I can't remember, he had like four different projects going on, including his job, and they were like, how do you do all this? And he said, well, I just don't watch TV, I only sleep this amount, and I just, you know, decided that I prioritized these things over this other. And I was like, oh, my God, it was it seemed very Calvinistic and aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, no, I can't do that. I can't give up my Netflix. I can't, and I also don't want to like I really 
I really enjoy feeding myself what is going on, like the art that's going on around me. And those are the touchstones that you have to relate to other people. The worst possible thing, I don't know if this is the worst possible thing, but one of the worst possible things that can happen to you as a creative person is to go into a bubble and write something, which is your masterpiece, and you come out and you pitch it, and they say, oh, that's already been done. You just ripped off so-and-so. And you're like, but I didn't. This is completely me. There's no way for me to have ripped them off. I was in a bubble. Well, then they say to you, well, you shouldn't have been in a bubble. You should have been looking at what was going on and making sure that you weren't ripping someone off. Right. Ugh. I I also have some other things on it where I feel like, you know, if you're stuck on a problem or in a story or in a a feeling in life, sometimes another story can kind of give you the oomph to get out of it or just give you another solution. Like I've been kind of working on this play for a while and I'm just constantly looking for new solutions for some of the relationships. So sometimes I watch TV or I go to shows because I'm I I think, oh, well, this is going to help me figure that out. You know, the other problem, though, with that guy from Wired is that he did not mention any of the domestic issues or domestic things. Mm. Like he enjoys his sons, I think. Well, and he, he was the does man. things with his sons. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what projects does his wife have? Like does she have four projects and a job? No. I don't know. Probably paying their bills, making sure that the kids are are doing like all the lady jobs, but then also just undistributed jobs like making sure that the husband is happy and healthy and Yeah. When we got here to LA, I kind of said to Jacob, you have three years. And so I mean, you're kind of on the clock. I'm no pressure, but <laughs> you're kind of, you're kind <laughs> Get of on your the act clock. together. So basically, I took on all these responsibilities. Because I said you were well, I'm, I'm going to be supporting you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and now 80 days later, I'm like, Oh, wait, I- I'd like it if you could support me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe could we figure out an equitable balance here? (laughs) Supporting a spouse or being supportive to spouses, especially in this modern age, when we're trying to learn equity and struggling with it is really difficult, I find. Or it's problematic. There are challenges. And I actually told Aubrey today, or actually yesterday, because we were coming from pride. And I was like, I actually kind of hate the idea of role models. Because what that's saying is, this person does things the way that you're supposed to do them within the context of society. Like if you have good male role models in your life, what you're saying is those males in your life are modeling how society wants males to act. So they dress masculine, they look masculine, they act like they they take out the garbage and they mow the lawn and they, you know, are good to their significant others and whatever. They're still showing a version of a male that fits society's standards and that's how they become a role model. And when you're in, like, I'm in a non-traditional relationship, like we don't have male and female roles and it it's taking us a long time to figure out exactly, like, we've already been married six years and we really haven't figured out what the hell we're supposed to do with like, is she supposed to take out the garbage? Am I supposed to take out? Like, do we just do it whenever? Because when we do it whenever, like if we don't have a person assigned to a task, it just goes and goes and goes and no one ever does it. Also, when you don't have a person assigned to a task and there's one person who really stinking like 
can't ha- like I can't handle there being dishes in the sink. Um, and then I end up doing it all the time. There like builds this little resentment seed where it's like, why aren't you doing the dishes? Well, you always do the dishes. Well, I don't want to be doing the dishes. <laughs> I just hate them being in the sink. The most glamorous solution, I guess, is to have a maid, to have someone who will come in and do some of the domestic chores that are supposed to be gender role assigned, supposed to be in air quotes, gender role assigned so that you don't have to have those conversations. The heart it's it's actually very difficult to have those conversations where it's like, well, I hate I hate vacuuming. Well, I hate vacuuming too. Well, I guess that never gets done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like Jacob hates cleaning toilets. But I think he pretty much hates all cleaning, but he really hangs his hat on the cleaning toilets thing. So I guess I am always cleaning toilets. This week is a special double interview where we are speaking with our mutual friend and producer, Cassie, about how she finds jobs as an artist. Basically, because artists, and especially visual artists, are mostly spec and uh, contracted work you have to keep chaining jobs so in our, in other words be looking for the next job before the first thing has even ended so if i kind of wanted to talk a little bit about that so please tell me about your like how, your work life from the beginning and then how it's kind of evolved over the process of you developing your career and developing contacts wow that's such a big question. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was well, just meant to open up the conversation. You start wherever okay, you, you want know, and we'll and we'll guide you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think with anything, because we all like want these big dream jobs and like you just can't really get there like right out of the gate. So like what I did is just like I was always just like, I need something right now and I know it's not the end. You know, this is just me passing through. So Mm -hmm. that it's easier to not let your surroundings affect you. Like if you end up having to be in retail longer than you want. Mm -hmm. But the good thing about having just a day job is that you can pursue side hustles, right? So like Mm -hmm. you can prep yourself on the side for that ultimate job that you want. And it can influence and come back into your day job. So you can just keep kind of leveling up each job you get. And that's kind of how I've been treating like just finding work like since graduating college is just that whatever I want to do, I try to get a job near it and meet people who do that thing and ask them tons of questions. So, I mean, when I was in college, I worked a lot of retail, multiple jobs just to, you know, make money. And then I had kind of like stipend, like little gigs at like theater companies or freelance illustration. From that, I got some skills in order to kind of like maneuver my way into an internship at Nickelodeon. I had all this like stage management experience and also the art side and animation school and from there I ended up working at Disneyland as an artist and it was because of all that background in animation and the illustration jobs and also being good with retail that actually helped me get that job like all these random random jobs that I didn't really want to be in 
helped me get to all these places that I've gone so far. Yeah. And it's, it's strange because all, like you said, they seemed random, but they all kind of added up to this bigger whole. When you were doing those things, did you consider yourself freelance artist that whole time? So I am a freelance artist who also works, you know, at this retail job, or did you more consider yourself, I work this re- retail job to give me the flexibility to do art? Because it's hard when you're working like multiple jobs, because you don't really have a flexibility to like, be creative sometimes, especially when you're still in school, because like, there's a lot of jobs that just take up so much mental and emotional space like you want to guard yourself from that so that you know you just pay rent and then you can pursue your passions but it's it doesn't work all the time so you have Mm -hmm. to be very intentional about having like boundaries like I don't think that I ever really thought of myself as like I don't know because I always go back and forth whether like I'm an artist and a writer and just an overall creative person and I just want to be a part of making things and that's kind of like my my bottom line. I don't think that anyone wants to be really known as a freelancer. It's like you're, you're a creative person, right? And then whatever mode your creation takes form, that's just the route that it's taken. I don't particularly want to be known as a freelancer. Like I'd rather be like, I'm a cartoonist or a writer because then you know it's like tangible because in reality, I feel like we're all freelancers. Having a job for 40 years doesn't really that that's kind of rare these days because people get let go all the time in no no matter what industry so like that's just kind of the life now I I completely agree and yes (laughs) I also I I completely feel you on I just want to be a part of something creative like at every moment yeah because I mean in retail jobs like you probably don't want to be there especially for long (laughs) but there's sometimes opportunities to have creative work within those jobs and if you're verbal about your background and your skills like sometimes those opportunities find you because like when I worked at Starbucks you know they have signs and they color them with chalk so there were some opportunities to use the skills I had in my retail job and I couldn't wait until like the promotional materials like circulated so I could do it again you know how did you decide what jobs to pursue in retail and what were some of the considerations hours flexibility and what were the other kind of values like did you know going into Starbucks that you when you said when you interviewed were you like and I would like to be doing the chalkboard stuff no I didn't like I thought that like that came pre-made you know like I didn't know that was going to be a thing um basically when I when I was looking because I like (laughs) I've applied to so many jobs in my life and I've and it's just kind of crazy like how many like part-time things you need to like make a full-time job you know like there's seasons of that but uh basically like when I look for work I like if I can't be in the role that I want especially before I got into animation I basically looked at what skills do I have right now and like what do I like I really love coffee and tea (laughs) and like I did a lot of art and writing like in coffee shops so I was like oh I'll just apply at these places that I spend so much time at however when you do that you probably don't want to (laughs) go there on your off time so you have to find new places to work but like I like being around coffee it makes me feel like a chemist like mixing it all together so like you also look at skills and you just kind of like pick jobs based on that. I've I worked at like Sears Portrait Studio because like 
I, I have an interest in photography. I learned a lot of portraiture stuff there, as well as composition, which has influenced my art at times. So that's really cool. And you also get to see a lot of interesting personalities. So like you just kind of log them away for when you need to write something later or like, you know, physical features if you need to create a character design. So it like it all comes back and like influences you later. Did you look specifically for that Sears portraiture job? <laughs> I think I actually found it on Craigslist once and like I applied to so many things on Craigslist <laughs> yes like, so many things <laughs> and that just happened to be there <laughs> that's so cool because I think uh we sometimes especially creative people because we can create imagined worlds all the time in our brain that we get into we fall into this trap of being like this is just wasted time and I like that you pointed out that this is not wasted time I'm making money one and two I'm getting all of these different ideas. When you were younger, did you, what did you think of? Like, what was your dream job when you were Baby Cassie? Well, when I was Baby Cassie, I wanted to be a traditional animator and do like hand-drawn animation. That doesn't, it's not a lot of work out there for that now. (laughs) But that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I kept thinking I was going to do while I was, you know, doing all of this stuff in Chicago while I was going to school. I was just going to ask, Uh, to refresh everybody where you went to school. I went to Columbia College in Chicago. And while I was there, I also went to Second City in the Annoyance Comedy Theaters. I interned and um, took a ton of classes there. So I feel like it was like, because I tried to do as much as possible when I was there because I knew I wasn't going to be able to live in Chicago very long. So while I was in school, I was like, okay, what else do I want to do in this town? And I did it. (laughs) Focusing in on what you like to do or what you want to do in a particular area is super key. I was interested in the idea of changing jobs together that was one of the things that in theater that comes up a lot that the you know well you just see it everywhere around you but especially when you're in college that I have a particular memory of a professor being like you have to get good at this and then we were all like and how does that happen and no answer yeah I don't think that anyone really explained it but I mean with our professors they didn't make it clear that you know it's very rare that you get employed for a long-term job uh, in in the entertainment industry. And from working at, because I interned at a few theaters and did stage manage and and prop design (laughs) during college as well. And like, they were very short gigs, usually like, three months and you get one stipend for the entire three months but yet you have to be at the theater maybe like two to four times a week depending on what week it was just in being in that atmosphere it really hit me how short term all of these fun jobs are (laughs) and so I I learned that like you you just kind of have to like string it together like you said knowing like what skills you have and what you like to do and just preparing yourself for those opportunities were there any habits that you were like this, you know, maybe in retrospect that you developed that helped you to string things along? I think that most of the, most of the things where I continue to get work, it was typically from just doing a good job in that place. Because like th- there was a time when young Cassie was like, oh, you know, if you do any other movies, I can help you on them. And the thing about that is like before you've proven yourself or like shown you can do the job and you're already pitching yourself for more work, it, it just puts like the per- the people in like an 
a weird place because they're not really sure whether to take you serious yet or not. And I felt like just feeling the feedback in the moment <laughs> that it was just kind of unwelcome because like they're focused on like this project right now instead of looking forward for the next. So like once you finished a project with someone, your superior, maybe mention, wow, that was fun. I really learned a lot. Like be genuine about it. And then they will keep you in mind for the next thing. And if on the other hand, you, you were, the work you did was kind of shaky where it was like oh god I think I kind of like dropped the ball but I feel like these people still like working with me then you can as kind of like a post-mortem this was so intense I feel so bad that I did this but I will never do that again obviously like there is way to like bend things into learning like you learn something and also make the people that you worked with realize that it was just a huge learning curve and that you know I tried my best and I've gotten more work from doing that as well even though like whoa I, that was not my best, you know? <laughs> so one of the great things about having like, uh, like a job to job nature of like the entertainment industry is that if you have like a lull between seasons of a show, you can go do something like, you know, like work at the Guthrie for a short time and then come back and get in, you know? So that's what's really fun about it too, because you work on multiple projects. So like you can take time off. Not a lot of people do, because like it is scary because you, you might be unemployed for like a month, a week, or like three years you know like it, it depends you know but tell me something else that you enjoy about your job besides the flexibility in different projects and maybe the flexibility in like pursuing different things like is there something that really sticks out to you as like your favorite part about being a working artist um well in terms of working in animation I love being able to just like live in the worlds that like we're creating in the story and getting to know the characters really well in freelance work you don't typically get to see the whole picture since I actually work on a show at a studio I really like being able to see the entire process and um get to see all these stories come to life I don't know like a lot of freelance artists they get lists of things to like design or create but they don't always know what it's for like in the big scheme of the story mm -hmm. which is why like I've started leaning more towards like script coordinating and writing and stuff at, in terms of my day job because I'm still making comics and everything on the side but I really like being in the story. I shared a comic that you drew with Jessica and you literally put yourself in a different, in a video game. <laughs> you're, you're being very meta. So you like live in the story when you're at your day job. And then when you write your comics, you're, you're writing yourself into the different level. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> you mentioned Craigslist was a tool. Are there other tools that you like to use when you're job searching? I would have to say like if you're just looking for like small things to piece together I mean Craigslist is great also like I've heard Elance is great too but they really like lowball you <laughs> in terms of price I mean I found a so this is gonna sound really random but I found a podcast editing job through just listening to one of my favorite podcasts and so like I've done work for her and that was just listening to her podcast you know what I mean so there's opportunities that kind of just pop up randomly like that and if you need money it's kind of perfect timing <laughs> but other like if you want to get into like industries though like if, if it were animation or like live action you would want to go to mixers where people like that have those jobs go you know and mixers 
like uh, th- there's this one mixer uh, called Women in Animation, and it's very local to Los Angeles, and a lot of students go, and not a ton of professionals go, which is unfortunate, but sometimes they do, and you should be there if they're there, <laughs> you know? So you kind of just throw a lot at the wall and trying to meet people, because that's the best way to get into, like, the more creative roles, you know? There's jobs out there. <laughs> so when a show staffs up for, like, for instance, writers, like, they don't really post jobs online for, like, animation writer like those jobs you get by finding an agent and then agent putting you up for work at these studios or meeting like a story editor or an executive and like hopefully you get the opportunity for them to read your work and they keep you in mind for things but that's also what's great about mixers is even though even if you go to a mixer and there's other job hunters like you or like students one day they might be an exec or one day they might be on a writing team and they might be able to get you in if you guys create that bond and network and you always want to do it genuinely because people want to work with people that they can spend like 14 hours a day with i remember hearing someone say do great work and be great to work with and that like if that's like your bottom line you'll probably be fine that's really excellent excellent advice so okay You've kind of been chaining jobs for a while and you go to these mixers. So then how do you manage these contacts and then like maintain relationships with these people? Because these are people that maybe you met a couple of times or just do you have a way of organizing it or are you just like super good at faces? Oh, it's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, try to like like friendships, right? You want to check in with people every once in a while. Obviously, if they're in like higher jobs, like story editors or executives, they're going to be really busy, like a lot. So probably like every three to four months is a good time to check in with an email or like maybe lunch or coffee. So you always want to be like conscientious of how much time you're asking for. Because that's one thing that I've had to learn is how time is very valuable, (laughs) your own as well as others. Because like there was a time where I was trying to like meet with people like every day during my lunch, like when I worked at Disney. And eventually you realize that these interactions, they're not doing either of us a favor and we have to go out of our way to meet up. So then you're like, okay, you know what? I'll check in with you in like two months. (laughs) But you don't say those things, obviously, but you kind of see the value you're getting out of a meeting and you want to make sure you're giving value to the other person as well. There's nothing that feels more gross than subconsciously begging for more work. I've been able to connect with people more on like creating my own work and kind of just asking people about their processes but in a way that like I'm genuinely going through and I'm like so you know how you did this on this show how did you manage your time on it or like how did you prioritize this is what I'm coming against in like creating like my podcast on the side like it's really hard to manage my time in terms of getting this done but also doing a good job at work I've been able to like connect with people over like actual creating stuff and that I think that's been really valuable and that's why I'm always like you should make something on the side (laughs) because that, that can influence like you getting the work you need and meeting the people you need to meet. I mean, because life is so short. Like, why wouldn't you make the things that you want to make, you know? You're so wise. It hurts me every time you hit me with all this wisdom. And I'm like, you're right. I am being a chicken. (laughs) The silly thing is that, like, when I explain to people my background, they're like, wow, you really need to focus. Like, I did work a whole bunch of random jobs but like like that's what you gotta do you just need something and then you pursue your real interests on the side to eventually cross over into your day job I like I was an artist at the Disneyland Resort and I then took a production job which is not artistic at all 
at an animation studio because that was the work I wanted to be around. I wanted to be where like they were making animation and making the media and like having a positive influence over kids. I took a job that I like I didn't really want it, but I've learned so much from it and I got to be around it. The work that I wanted to do. Each show that I got on, I got a little bit closer to what I really wanted to be doing. Please tell us what your current job is. I'm a sport coordinator on a Disney Junior show called Puppy Dog Pals. It, were there any mentors for you that stood out for you during um so many, but it's not like a mentor that there's not been like a steady mentor through the entire process because I mean, a lot of people have busy lives and not everyone can dedicate like, like a consistent amount of time to you. So there's people that you kind of just pass by through life. Uh, you get to ask them questions and they give you insider wisdom and then you just have to take what they give you and run with it. There's been people that I could like check in with consistently, which has been really helpful. My current producer, Janine Hodson, was very helpful. She was my producer on my first show and now I'm, I get to work with her again because like I did a good job and she remembered me, you know? So when time came for to find a new job, she, she called me. <laughs> and also this other producer, Deirdre Brenner, and they're consistent in my life but I don't actually interact with them that much. But if I have a question of something I'm coming again, I can reach out to them anytime I need, which is really awesome. Um, also, Noah Elias, I took his mentoring program and he was really insightful. And he's also just really passionate about people making their own stuff, finding a purpose in life. He's very purpose-driven and he's really about like leaving a positive influence on the world with your short time living here like being on earth, living on earth, like a mixture of just everyone that I've kind of crossed paths with, like whether they were in their dream jobs or if like I just worked with them like really briefly. I, I just take all of these interactions and try to keep them in mind. And also having a podcast where I interview creative women in the animation industry has been very helpful too, because I get to ask them the questions that I wonder almost daily, <laughs> like being <laughs> in that atmosphere, I get to ask them, how did you navigate personalities in the workplace? Because that takes up a lot of brain power <laughs> every day. Yeah, it's, it's just been helpful. I, I think you just take what you can get, <laughs> you know? Ask the questions. And, like, I ask probably a lot of inappropriate questions. Pretty bold to have just met you in person just now. But, like, I ask them. Because I'm never going to see this person again sometimes. You know? So, like, why not just ask them the question I want to know? <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you want to make sure that when you're having those lunches or those meetings and you're taking people's time that you want to provide value to them as well as as you know, you're getting value out of them and getting your face in front of them. What are those values, just to articulate that, that you are providing to that person? Yeah, it definitely depends on the person. This one person that I meet with every few months, she has, she's also a screenwriter, like she's a producer and she loves it. She's been doing it like 20 plus years. She's also a screenwriter on the side. She, she writes like crazy. She goes to all these screenwriting conventions and she, or conferences, and she also has won quite a few screenwriting competitions, which is like huge. It's awesome. As Everyone knows it's really hard to stay motivated to keep doing the work you're doing in your side hustle. But we talk a lot about side hustles. We talk about her scripts. We talk about keeping each other on track, you know, and like we don't interact that often. But that's something I can give back because it's like, what are you doing? You should be writing. And she finds it very helpful. <laughs> 
And obviously, it's not the reason she's, like, writing or finishing her script. But it's just helpful to know that there's someone in your corner that believes in you. And that's what I try to bring to the table. Because it's funny how there are people in what you would assume is their dream job. And it is their dream job. But yet, once you get to those jobs, it's like, well, what else could I do? And then you have a new dream job. And they're kind of like, how do I get there? It, It just... It's really interesting <laughs> to see. Wow. Yeah, I, I can attest that you are very inspirational and have caused me to do many things that I find very valuable to me. Like you're you're everybody's biggest cheerleader. I think that's definitely something that you bring to the table. Something that I actually wonder about is how important do you feel it is that you live in L.A.? Because I know that a lot of your stuff comes from being like in the center of it, like you're near enough to Hollywood, you're near enough to all of these things. So are, do you feel like your job has thrived in the way that it has because you are on location? I think definitely in animation, because there's not a lot of animation outside of L.A. Because it is a bummer that a lot of the creative work is out in L.A., especially for like film and animation. At least live action is getting kind of pulled to other locations by tax breaks and stuff like that. A lot of animation is going overseas, but most of the creative pre-production work is still out here. I would definitely love to live in Ireland and work in their animation (laughs) industry or France. They have some pretty cool things happening over there, too. Yeah, it really helps to be in these hubs. But I think it also comes down to like, what's your priority? Is it to work in this industry or is it to live somewhere? You kind of just have to weigh that. And I hate making decisions, but you just kind of have to do it because then you start living a life that you don't really want or you you always regret like well I really enjoyed working this job for so many years but I wish I would have like moved somewhere else it's also that goes into life experience like even if you go away for a while you can always come back and get back into it if you have a good network you know while you're here were there any surprises that you encountered along the way yeah um like so with the podcast that I do uh, called Ink and Paint Girls about women in animation. I've been actually genuinely surprised how many women are open to talking to me who I do not know. Most of them I do, but some of them are out of my network. It's been really cool how many people like offer up their friends for me to talk to as well. But I think the other thing that is surprising is that you work so hard to get to a place and then that job only lasts like maybe a year because there's people who for writing and even for like artists in animation industry specifically, you can finally get that first job, that first foot in the door you can get that and then not have it a week later yeah I just found that really interesting and really surprising because it's like you work so hard to do something to get somewhere but then you have to work so hard all over again because it's like your career is like what you look back on for all the small gigs and jobs you were able to like thread together. I think this is just such a such an evolved way of looking at a career because usually people are like, oh yeah, I started at Disney in 1952 and I worked there for 54 years and I got a beautiful pension and all I did all day was color. You know, not everyone's the same either. That might be really fulfilling for someone, but there might be other people who kind of want more. I would really love to talk to like these directors of the big studio films. You know, they usually start in like animation or storyboard and they work their way up. Specifically at like Disney Studio, like sometimes they get caught being animation supervisors or, or like, you know, in charge of story. And then they leave the studio to go to like a smaller studio in order to direct because mm-hmm. you just keep getting kind of bogged down by red tape and like the studio kind of like shelving your project. So they leave and then they do the thing that they really wanted to do. And then like once you do that, sometimes you can come back and do it again for the studio you left in the first place. Like I've seen that a lot. People, even in production, these entry level jobs 
jobs that are not artistic, like you're in production, you leave and go to a different studio, maybe a smaller company, and you like design characters. And then, oh, you have experience. Now we can hire you as a character designer back at that studio you left initially. But also having that network from being in a job that you didn't want there is helpful. And you have to break out of being pigeonholed by your your supervisors. That That's been really interesting because it's like pivoting a little bit, I think, right? It sounds like a lot. Like, is it just understood in the industry that everybody is always looking for a job? So it's not like an insult if they call up your boss or are you just making very sure when you're looking for a new thing that you're writing other people down as your recommendation? The interesting thing is the jobs that I got in the animation industry so far, I did not get from applying online. It was from knowing someone and giving my resume to them. And I didn't actually have my references on my resume. So like no one could really call my my bosses or anything. But here's the here's another interesting thing that happens. They look at your resume. If you worked on anything that they also know someone who worked on that project, they will call that person. I've heard of people getting their bosses called, but that's usually like, oh, you know, at the bottom of your resume, you put references available upon request, because then you don't have colleagues or your friends' phone numbers just floating out into this abyss, right? So like, if you're going to call them, I'll give them to you. But if you're not, I'm not going to put it on there. On the show I'm on now, my producer was my first producer like three years ago. We kept in touch, and she knew that my other job was coming to an end. She also knew that I was interviewing at a lot of places. (laughs) It was interesting, because she recommended me, and also a Disney executive recommended me. But like I came in two different directions. So that was really cool. Always be doing the thing that you want to do. Like the ultimate dream job. Always be doing that, whether it's on the side, um, which usually it will be on the side. <laughs> so you need a day job. You just need something to pay rent. You get something. Work at McDonald's. I don't care. Pay your rent. And then define what skills do you have right now? And you can find better work that uses those skills. And while you're doing that, there's like two things happening. One is your day job where you're just working. And then your other one is your side hustle. Your day job is what skills do you have right now? Use them. Side hustle is like, what skills do I want slash need to be able to have my dream job? If you don't have them, get them. It's like a self-driven curriculum. Once you have those skills that you want to use all the time in that dream job, you can slowly start to get day jobs that use those skills that you really want to use every day. So then you kind of level up your jobs. You also need to know if you want to work at a studio as an artist or a writer, okay, what jobs can you get that will get you near there? Because like I've known people who wanted to work at Nickelodeon. They started in the mailroom and now they're working on productions, like on shows and artistic roles. Just get near the job you want if you can't get that job that you want. That'll allow you to meet people who know about those roles, who can help you, hopefully mentor you. It's always really hard when you ask for help because it's like, I don't want to seem entitled and I don't want you to think that I think you should give me all of your time. But could you give me some feedback on this? And that's where having your side hustle is, again, very helpful because you've been working on it this entire time. And if you have something to show right away, they know you're serious and they know that their time will be valuable in your journey. And people genuinely typically want to help. And if they don't, forget it. You know, like... Just move on. If you run into people you wish would like you (laughs) or like what you're doing and they just don't, it's really a lot of wasted time and energy. Just move on. They're not going to help you if they don't want to. 
get over it. <laughs> You'll be happier and you will meet people you wouldn't even expected to be so helpful because ultimately your preparation will meet opportunity and with a little bit of luck you'll get to that creative work you really want to do and your ultimate dream job it, it takes a lot of work to be lucky <laughs> it definitely does oh Great thank you stuff. so much yeah good such a pleasure <laughs> This segment of Grilled Cheese and Gin is brought to you by Expensive Linen Paper. Yes, that expensive linen paper that you bought a ream of in order to print all of your resumes on right before realizing that everybody takes resumes digitally these days. Yes, that expensive linen paper that will most certainly not get used is not actually a sponsor of this podcast, but there it sits under your desk. Expensive beautiful linen paper. All right, let's talk about it. Let's get into it. Let's dig in, as it were, into finding a new job. Strategies for finding jobs that don't suck. Like, strategies that don't suck, but also finding a job that doesn't suck. Because I think what I said to you was that um, on some level, you have to have a, you have to find a job that doesn't make you want to like curl up and die so um how do you find those things and there are a few different ways the few different things that i did when i was trying to find a job here in minnesota in northfield i researched all of the companies in the area like all of the physical places because i knew i didn't want to go to the cities to work i researched all the companies and i found the ones that didn't make me want to vomit immediately we have a tiny little newspaper and we have a few different coffee shops, which I knew I didn't really want to get into coffee. The co-op was a good option because they kind of have a decent moral standing. The yoga studio in town, obviously, I would be very happy working at the yoga studio. And I kind of just built my little list of places that didn't make me crazy and kind of just haunted them forever. I made sure I was looking at their website regularly and looking at their job posting section. And I was always talking to people who worked there. And I was always like looking at um, Craigslist and whatever different places that they would probably post jobs. And then the other thing, the other little Craigslist hack, if you don't want a traditional job that's like gonna be in corporate America or whatever, is to go to the gigs section of Craigslist which might might feel shady and wrong, but I actually got this little tip off of the financial diet. You go in there and you look at like, I just want someone to edit my book or I just want somebody who will be a tutor for me for a while or I just want somebody who's going to be a PA for one weekend. And that is how you start. You, you put a little extra cash in your pocket you start building those relationships with people. And then if, if you're a good PA, then you start getting, um, you start getting more jobs with them. You start, they start asking you more and more times. And then eventually they just like working with you and through word of mouth, you get more and more jobs. So those are, those are a couple of little hacks. Yeah, those are good ones. I'd heard of the whole, like, look at the companies that you like kind of thing. I hadn't really thought about it in terms of maybe I should just look here in the actual neighborhood where, where I live. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, Oh, but I don't live in a little city. I live in LA, but I do actually live in, it's actually called Valley Village. So I could just completely narrow down to like what's in this village or 
what is physically in Burbank. Well, and I, this is something that I did while I was in Pittsburgh too, is I just like on Craigslist, instead of saying looking for Pittsburgh jobs, which could be on the other side of three rivers and like a billion miles away and impossible to get to, I just lurked in my borough. Like I was just like, I just want to find a job at Squirrel Hill. I just want to find a job in Southside. And then I didn't feel bad that I wasn't looking at this job that might be great for me, but you know, it's not going to pay me enough to drive all the way across town. So I, something that I've been trying to get together for a while and something that I've done a little bit of is getting talks going. Like um, Aubrey put together a, a student led workshop where someone would come in and like one of the students would talk about Photoshop. Like they were really good at Photoshop, but you don't really have time to take a class on Photoshop. You just kind of want to learn the basics. Like every Thursday or something, a different person would give a talk and I actually went in to CMU to give a talk on putting your resume together, finding jobs that suit you, that actually suit your skills. It was one of those, it was very well attended. And I gave tips like you should have a different resume for everything. You should have your base resume written up, but you should definitely cater your resume to to the specific company. And you should always redo your cover letter. Design counts. I actually, one of her other friends did a design workshop and I straight up stole his resume and cover letter design well I, I stole his resume design and then tweaked it for the cover letter so that the resume and cover letter were matching yeah just little little things that kind of set you above and beyond the only thing that I ran into later on was I was trying to not reimagine but I was trying to make my resume fit a CV format it doesn't really work like you have to make an entirely separate CV you have to put in a lot more descriptive stuff about what you did and how long and really sitting down and making a master resume, a master CV, and a template for your cover letter is going to save you so much time and energy. You're you're going to have all the information there. You can pick and choose what you put in for every individual company because your credentials never change. It's just which credentials you need to highlight that change. If you have a template all laid out, you just drag, you know, copy and paste everything in, and then you can really impress people by being the first one with a really refined resume and cover letter that applies. Yeah, I I think that I have been keeping, yeah, I mean, it's a really good point. I think that I have been keeping track of these things, but I don't have it labeled master. And that would be so much better (laughs) if I called it the master CV or the master resume, because then I could, like you're saying, just make, make a copy of it. And it's just a much better way to organize it than just having all these old versions of the same thing. And LinkedIn is kind of a place where you keep a master list of everything that you've done. Or maybe you don't. I don't know. It depends on how you use your LinkedIn. But it's so easy to just keep a Word document of of all the things that you've done. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a great idea. Ice cream. This podcast is sponsored by ice cream because it is summer and I cannot function unless I put ice cream in my body. Ice cream isn't so much a sponsor of this podcast as it is the sponsor of my lifestyle. It is now time for the credits. 
Thanks to Blue Apron and Squarespace for helping us through this rough time. I mean, they aren't actually sponsors, but we do like them. Thanks to Jacob and Aubrey for their support of our changeable dream. Thanks to our guest, Cassie Soliday, for talking with us and sharing all of her insights about job searching. Thanks to Scott Haskin for the music. Thanks to Cassie, again, our producer for Kraken That Whip and for all the art of grilled cheese and gin. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes and we will give you a great big consensual interweb hug. You can also email us your questions at grilledcheeseandgin at gmail.com and follow us on our website at www.grilledcheeseandgin.com on Twitter at grilledcheesegin spelled G-R-I-L-L-E-D-C-H-E-Z-G-I-N Facebook and Twitter are Grilled Cheese and Gin. Also, each of us are starting our own individual podcast shortly, so keep an ear out for those. Join us next week to talk about some side hustles and interviewing another very cool person.